The problem is on the earlier stage because there's just not a lot of players that are investing at the early stage in Malaysia. At the earliest, you have basically small money from government accelerators, from these grant programs, and it's it's small money. It's not gonna, it's not going to get you very far. So it's a bit tough. There's not really any institutional capital other than the three that are the the the, the folks that I that I mentioned. Uh, I think Indelible is probably one of the more active folks in the in the earlier stages within within the market. Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, managing partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs, guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. We're going to do something a little bit differently this time around, where we're going to tune into a presentation that I recently gave at an event that was discussing the startup ecosystem in Malaysia. So without further ado, here we go. Uh, delve into the topic of today, which is startup funding in Malaysia. Uh, always an interesting topic. Uh, sometimes a topic that can get me in trouble as far as uh, being a little too open with my uh, opinions on what is going on in the ecosystem, but that's uh, that's part of uh, just the way things are. It's 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 good to be uh, open and honest so that we can have constructive dialogue towards building things and and moving things onwards. So the topic, as I said, is startup funding in Malaysia. Um, and so what we're going to kind of delve into is an aspect of it's doom and gloom, but there are rays of hope. And that's what I hope to highlight, that there's certainly some negative sentiment, and I'd be crazy to to, to ignore that whether it's the macro environments or if it's just the nature of the way that the funding ecosystem is set up currently in this market. Uh, but there are rays of hope and hopefully I can get through uh, some of that degree of optimism to all of, uh, to any of the aspiring startup founders that are listening in and watching this. Um, so who am I? Why am I presenting on this topic? Well, Many of you may already know me, but some of you may not. Uh, my name is uh, Kevin Brocklin. I am the managing partner, uh, founder and managing partner of Indelible Ventures. Indelible Ventures is uh, a seed stage VC based in Malaysia. Uh, we're probably the only foreign VC not funded by uh, the Malaysian government, fully independent. Um, at this point in time, we've got, we've got a pretty good portfolio of companies that we've invested in so far. There's currently nine uh, companies in our portfolio. 
uh, solely B2B companies, that is core to, to the thesis. Uh, nine companies currently, and I am very hopeful that by the end of this quarter, there'll be a few more additions that we'll be excited to talk about um, in the portfolio as well. Uh, so my background, as, as, as comes across here, is the reason why I talk about the funding market in Malaysia is because I am a funder. So I am very interested in how the funding ecosystem is in Malaysia and how the startup ecosystem overall, uh, because I am here on the ground looking for companies that have potential to scale uh, and hopefully be able to find ones that fit our uh, uh, our thesis and that we can end up supporting and, and see some champions coming out of this market. Aside from uh, Indelible Ventures, uh, you may have heard uh, the podcast Sea of Startups. I am the producer and host of that podcast, Sea of Startups. If you haven't heard it, I do encourage you to check it out. Basically, on this podcast, we have conversations with some of the top entrepreneurs in Malaysia, uh, some from outside of Malaysia, and really delve into those stories behind the entrepreneurs. What did it take in order to build that company? What were the experiences of the MVP? And it's really a masterclass in, in understanding what those successful entrepreneurs have gone through. And it's really eye-opening to see that many of them have gone through the same struggles that every entrepreneur, and I'm sure many of you in the audience, have gone through and are continuing to fight against and overcome. Uh, so I do encourage you to check that out. Uh, as well, one more activity of mine is I am the director of Founder Institute Malaysia. Founder Institute is a global pre-seed accelerator that is based out of Silicon Valley, but we run a chapter here in Malaysia where we help companies with two-track program, either a launch phase or a growth phase, but really get involved at that pre-seed uh, stage. And at this point in time, Founder Institute has helped accelerate almost 7,000 companies. We're in 90 plus countries, 200 over cities. The alumni of uh, Founder Institute has raised almost $2 billion. The portfolio value of those companies is $30 billion plus. We've got tens of thousands of mentors. So it's a fantastic program that we localize with having strong mentors from our market, whether Malaysia or Southeast Asia, and really curate that program uh, for what startups need at those early stages. Uh, we do have some upcoming events that I will talk about as well. There is an in-person networking event on the 30th of August that if you are interested in launching a startup, you have an inkling of an idea or you're just getting started, I do encourage you to come out. You can hear from some of the FI graduates what they went through to get a firsthand idea of what to expect out of the program, as well as be able to network with some of the other people that are in the startup ecosystem. If you haven't registered for that, you can find that that uh, the details for that on our website at fi 
fi.co. That's fi.co. Uh, and you can learn more about our program uh, then. So now jumping into the topic at hand, which is the, the funding environment uh, in Malaysia. So the way that I'm gonna basically group this conversation is I'm gonna start off by just kind of laying out the current trends in startup funding. What's going on right now to put a little bit of contextualization because the current environment is gonna have an impact on how you're able to go out and get funding, what your thought process ought to be, as well as the types of preparation and, and strategies that you will need to take. Um, after that, I'll do kind of like lay of the land on what the available funding options are, what can you uh, access in regards to uh, available pools of capital, um, and I will let flow some of my opinions on on those as well. I'll try not to get myself in trouble with that's the point of why a lot of folks kind of tune in on this conversation is is to hear uh, the unfiltered uh, version. Lastly, I'll talk about uh, some some details on uh, sourcing funding. Now, we won't go into too much depth on on aspects of how to run the actual process. We're just going to do a little bit on the high level intro uh, layer to it. If you're very keen on digging in more, uh, do pop in some questions on the Q&A tab. Uh, please use the Q&A tab as opposed to the chat tab for questions. It's a lot easier for us to keep organized on questions by using that Q&A tab or the button at the bottom. Um, but as well, if we don't address it, in, if we're not able to address it in the Q&A, we do address it in, in certainly in the Founder Institute program, or uh, there is a likelihood that we will run additional events on, on the topical area. So if you ever have any areas that you think we ought to cover, best way is to reach out to me on LinkedIn and just drop me a message and say, hey, I'd love it if you ran an event around this topical area. We're constantly looking for areas that we can continue to cover so that we're addressing the needs of, of the audience and the ecosystem. So, okay, here, this, this is the discussion outline. Now let's get into the details, right? Um, so starting point, current trends in, in startup funding. So I'm sure everyone reads some form of news story, tech blog, tech crunch, uh, deal street Asia, tech in Asia, one of, one of these, <clears throat> one of these news sources, you're reading about what's, what's going on in the ecosystem. And you may be looking at reading some of it and, and, and get kind of the vibe of, uh, winter is coming. Well, in all honesty, the true reality is that winter is already here. The situation does, as I referenced in kind of the subtitle coming in, uh, there is some doom and gloom in the market. Um, but my references to Game of Thrones aside, let's, let's dig into the data and actually see what this, what this actually means and, and put some context around it, yeah? 
So when we look at on the global level, just to kind of start out at the higher level, global funding is down. That's what you've read about. That's what's in the news. I mean, it, it hit pretty high peaks during the during the uh, uh, during the hype cycle of the last couple of years. So it's inevitable that it would come down. But you can see pretty dramatic decreases across all categories of funding have really been compressed. And so what what this means as well is that you're not we have to we if we if we make a couple of assumptions as well and say there's likely not been truly a dramatic decrease in the number of entrepreneurs that are coming out in the market or that are building in the market. But it's become much more competitive in order to secure funding. But funding hasn't disappeared. We can still see that pretty large sums of money globally are being deployed and are being invested. So the key takeaway is that quality wins. During the fluffy times of the last couple of years, companies that probably didn't have everything together because money was so easy and funds were eager to deploy, they probably ended up getting funded. But these days, situation is different. Quality is very, very important because cash is much more scarce. Uh, and the investors in funds are much more strict with their uh, with the VCs that are in their portfolio, and that just trickles down uh, to the portfolio level and how they're deploying capital. So funding is is down. What we're also seeing is that the time frame between rounds, how many months does it take you to go from your seed stage to your A round, or from your A round to raise your B round? Because BC is a pathway. You're going from one funding round to the next funding round into the next funding round. And so it used to be kind of the rule of thumb that I'm going to raise 18 to 24 months worth of runway and I'm good to go. But that's really not the case anymore because if you look at how these time frames are increasing between rounds, and unfortunately the graphic pulling it from Crunchbase, it cut off part of the dates. Um, but yeah, yeah, un un unfortunately, but nonetheless, the important thing is the, the trend line, not necessarily the date specifically. The, the most recent is, is, is May of this year, as you can see from the footnote on it. But the important thing is that old rule of thumb of 18 to 24 months, it doesn't really work anymore because if you look at where the current trend line is, the median is 25 currently. And so if, and it just goes up from from that when we're talking about the the mean of of thirty months for go from going from a, um, a seed to an A, and so if that time frame is extending, then that means that the way that we're having to plan our funding rounds and our use of capital needs to be uh, longer. So. If that's the case, we need to be, we need to start having, um, we need to start having, uh, conversations around 
the runway that these companies have. If you're a company that is going out and raising, you have to understand that it's a very good likelihood that it may end up taking you longer than you had previously anticipated. And so you're going to end up having to do one of two things you're, in order to extend your runway. You're going to end up having to figure out creative ways to increase your revenue beyond what your targets were, which is difficult in the current environment, but not impossible. Or you're going to have to better control those costs so that you can extend that runway. And so this is a really important aspect that every founder needs to know. And this is, even though this is global and it's, it's crunch based, so global for them really means US centric still, but that's, that's where the majority of the funding is, but it's, it's happening everywhere. So this is, this is still the reality uh, here. And so this is, this is, this is quite a challenge. And this is, this is something that every founder ends up needing to cope with is understanding that it's taking longer. And the other takeaway, if, if it's taking longer, think back to this prior chart. Uh, well, sorry, if it's taking longer, then think about the aspect that there's more pool of companies that are staying in the fundraising circuit. And so the pool of companies is actually getting larger and it's becoming more competitive. Because if there's lesser companies getting funded at each time and there's more companies staying around and it's taking them longer to raise, it's just adding more companies to the mix uh, of that fundraising. So that's reinforcing those two aspects of runways need to be managed and be able to manage a bit longer than historically because of the way that the funding environment is. And also the pool of candidates, because it's taking longer, you're also seeing uh, it become much more competitive for capital. Now, let's go from the global down to Southeast Asia and have a conversation around what's going on in our own backyard. And I'll leave it at Southeast Asia because most of the data points that I'm going to reference here, there's really not good data for Malaysia, in all honesty. Um, you can get some, but if I'm being bluntly honest, there's not the most reliable information on the Malaysia ecosystem, which is a bit of a problem, but that's, that's something that's going to end up having to be addressed in the long term. But we can, we can extract some of this information from, uh, from the regional info, which you can see that it's at least for the early stage. And I'm going to, I'm going to imagine that a lot of the founders here that are listening in are early stage. That's that's basic that that chart basically looks like a roller coaster where we ended up coming up to a pretty big high uh, at the beginning of last year uh, and have been kind of riding this on down at the beginning of this year it looked like it was going to turn around a little bit and oh no now we've gone and uh, gone down a little bit further uh, and a rounds have gone down and that's been cut basically a little bit less than half from its peak as well and so. Again, there's a lot less deals that are getting done in the market at these early stages. Now, mind you, when you look at this uh, on those later stage rounds, it's not that bad at the C and D in absolute terms because there were never very huge numbers of deals that were getting done. Even at the peak, you're talking 10 deals. Uh, so percentage-wise, yeah, it seems like a big decrease, 40% down to go from 10 to 6. 
but we're still talking about small numbers because there's just not that large of a pool of companies that are at that stage uh, regionally and certainly not within within Malaysia itself. So growth stage is not uh, that that major. There is interesting things going on at B, but I think for the point of this conversation, the best thing to highlight, the most important thing to highlight is the challenges that are happening at that seed and a round because that's really the early stage capital that we want to kind of zero in on and get an understanding of what those near-term uh, components of this VC pathway are, are, are going on. And so another data point from Southeast Asia to highlight that kind of gives us mixed signal is the value of the investment round by stage. And here I'm highlighting just the seed and series A. And so this is not the valuation of the company. This is the amount of money uh, that they raised at these stages. So I'm sure that any founder that's sitting inside of Malaysia looking at this saying, ah, it's a $2 million seed round. In ringgit, maybe that happens. In U.S. dollar terms, that doesn't really happen. I, I, can't, I can't really point to uh, a, a seed round in Malaysia that got close to two million. But this is this is heavily skewed towards uh, where the volume of transactions is coming from, which is really Singapore and, and Indonesia, I imagine. Again, I haven't seen the source data behind this because that's a that's a that's a different set coming from uh, Deal Street Asia is the source of this data. Um, but what we can see, the point of me bringing this up is that the last chart showed that really falling off of a cliff in the number of deals that ended up getting done. But when we look at that, it was really the peak was at the end of was was at, was at the end was at the beginning of last year, and it really kind of fell off from there. So in theory, the round size during that time period should have fallen off. But what actually this is showing us is that the round sizes are actually pretty strong, which kind of reinforces what I was talking about before, where even though less deals are getting done, the high quality deals are getting funded. So we can make a supposition that the impact on the round size is really that high quality deals are making it through. So if you're an entrepreneur, you really need to look at it and say, if I'm building something truly incredible, I don't have to worry because I fall in this outlier category and people are going to want me. Uh, now you just need to be able to fix your uh, strategy in order to get that message out to the market and be able to get in front of the appropriate investors. So that's that's the lay of the land. That's 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 what I kind of the picture that I kind of wanted to paint in regards to sure winter is already here with the fall off in the the number of deals that's happening uh, but there is a little bit of a glimmer of hope in the aspect that deals still get funded and round sizes are actually not that bad uh, we haven't seen those kind of fall off a cliff uh, in re based upon based upon this this data that we're seeing here so there is glimmer of hope uh, if you're building something that is High quality, scalable, interesting company that can that can get somebody's attention. So now we need to transition over into a conversation about um, uh, about transition into a conversation about the fund available funding options.
So we'll start off by just kind of listing out a couple of the options that you have, which is angel investors. You can go out and you can do crowdfunding through one of the service providers that are here. The elephants in the room in the early stage is government grants and government funding. There's, there's, there's a whole lot of that uh, in the ecosystem. Uh, and then you have your 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 more uh, typical uh, tech funding pathway, which is the uh, which is venture capital. Uh, and then you have another one that's that's related but different, uh, which is corporate venture capital. Uh, so I'll I'll dive into each of these and I'll give a little bit of a conversation on all of these. Again, as I'm going through uh, this 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 conversation. If anyone has any questions on the topic, please start entering it into the Q&A section. We'll get to that at the end. Uh, I'm not going to be able to hit on every single piece of every single component. So if there's something that uh, you want to know about as I go through these details, do just let me know. Uh, pop it into the Q&A. It can be anonymous. You can single yourself out of who you are. No worries. Uh, just pop it in there and we'll address it at the end. So anyways, these are the funding options that are typically going to exist in any sort of ecosystem. So now let's just talk about who they are and maybe we can contextualize it a little bit with the Malaysia ecosystem. Uh, and I'll try and be friendly as I, as I talk about the who and the what and the, uh, and the why uh, in contexting it for, for Malaysia, yeah? Um, so first off, we have angel investors. Um, typically, an angel investor is going to be perhaps an experienced entrepreneur that's made some money by being an entrepreneur, maybe a tech entrepreneur, not necessarily tech entrepreneur, but it certainly has that sort of entrepreneurial vibe where they like the idea of getting involved with early stage companies and are comfortable with uh, the risk profile that that has. You might have business professionals that have accumulated a certain level of income and are quite keen on uh, putting that in, putting a portion of that uh, money that they've been able to develop through through their hard efforts into uh, early stage investments. You may also very well have uh, some plain old high net worth individuals that could fall into some of the two prior categories or that could be family business, could be inherited wealth, could be a number of uh, different justifications on how they became high net worth. The category is just that they now have uh, sufficient accumulated wealth where investing in early stage companies now starts making uh, a little bit more sense as they're trying to find uh, risk adjusted returns for a portion of their portfolio that can end up uh, adding uh, outsized returns and sometimes they have different motivations of just liking the, to get involved with entrepreneurs. And so if you look at most developed markets, there's a number of formal and informal angel networks that exist. If you go to Singapore, there's a handful of them. If you go to Indonesia, you've got a number of them. You've gotten to the point in, mo in both of those markets where you have what we call super angels that are very frequent prolific angel investors and sometimes even write pretty sizable checks in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you talk about India, the US, Australia, in most of these markets, you have it. Um, if I'm being bluntly honest, Malaysia, we don't have that as of yet. We could, 
but what we have is really kind of like two official angel networks. One is kind of the government-linked official trade organization, I guess is the way to put it, which is, which is uh, the business angel network. If you want to get the angel tax credit as an investor, you're required to pay dues and become a member of this, which is honestly, I think it's a restricting factor, but it is what it is. Um, and then related same person running, running that also has, has another one, which is, you know, uh, hard to tell what the, what the actual difference is, but those are the two names, uh, that really exist in Malaysia. You can find other, other sources. You can get very, um, active on going through LinkedIn and finding who the high net worth individuals and you can pathways to access, but there's not as many like formalized or informal sort of like networks that you can, once you get into, you can, you can find your pathway through them. Um, so then we have crowdfunding. This is uh, a very popular path in Malaysia. They, they've raised very large sums of money in this pathway. Uh, partly maybe it's because there's the, the co-investment fund that the government has. But basically what crowdfunding is, uh, it's money to raise capital from a large number of individuals. The rules around the issuance of private securities is a little bit relaxed. That is, is facilitated by regulatory frameworks that varies from country to country. I don't know the specifics of Malaysia offhand, but normally to invest in, in private securities and private companies, there's a rule around being a sophisticated investor, or perhaps it's called accredited investor or qualified investor. There's a few different names that basically means that you're high net worth and you could afford to lose the money or you're just a, a, a you have the educational background or the technical expertise in order to be able to um, be assumed to be able to tolerate uh, and analyze that kind of risk um, generally it's beneficial for companies because it can be difficult in accessing funding through the conventional means because of the lack of angel networks because of some of the funding gaps there's not a lot of other options when you're inside of this market. So they've been able to find an alternative in order to find ways in order to pull it together. And instead of having, you know, 10, 5, 10, 20 investors all sitting on your cap table, you end up having the single proxy uh, of that, that platform, which keeps the cap table a little bit cleaner. I think if I'm being bluntly honest, the valuations that are given on these platforms are quite high relative to what a typical investor will give so if you do take that pathway of raising from there be understanding that when you go back for your next round of funding the delta on what the valuation increase may not be sufficient so you might not be able to go from that pathway back over to the vc pathway um, there's not a lot of examples in malaysia of companies successfully raising in crowdfunding and then moving over and being highly successful uh, in the VC pathway, but that doesn't mean that it's impossible. We certainly have examples of that in U.S. markets and other markets with Kickstarter and other forms of crowdfunding. Uh, just I haven't seen it. Maybe there's stories that I don't know, but I haven't seen it so frequently uh, here in in Malaysia. Um, 
Now, the government grant, I'm going to try not to get myself in trouble because uh, I have a tendency of being a little bit blunt here. And that's why I don't get the invites to the events from uh, some of these institutions anymore. Um, but in all honesty, you know, when you look at the, the environment for getting the government on board, it is quite confusing in order to go through because you have a hodgepodge of all kinds of different agencies and it's just really confusing and everyone has their offerings a lot of overlap it's like a spider web uh, of a mess and there's people that have kind of like focused around being able to navigate this but it's it's a it's a bit of a challenge and it can be it can be con really confusing you have your federal level you have your state level you have this you have that it's 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 quite confusing uh to sort through especially relative to to some other markets but there's no really no shortage of available funds i mean if you if you look at this part of the world malaysia is probably putting the most amount of money per capita into the startup ecosystem I'd argue that the ROI on that investment has been significantly worse than some of the other countries in the region. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of capital that is going out. And, you know, when you, when you, there was, there's keeps on being more announcements of more availability of funds that are going into it. Um, there's lots of grants, but it's not a quick process. Uh, I, I don't think there's anybody that I know that has gone through the grant making process or the funding process from a government entity and said that it was a fast or easy process. It is not. And you can end up spending a lot of time. So if you're planning on, on raising from this pathway, just be of the understanding that it takes a long time. I've seen people end up having contracts signed and then not get their money for six months. And then, you know, what do you do in that sort of situation? I've seen people take uh, a very long time uh, in order to go through it. Maybe that's because they needed somebody that was better able to navigate, which is the first part that I talked about. Um, but certainly there's a lot of availability there. It's just a matter of like, there's a bunch of headaches in order to get through this process, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, and for the amount of money that some of these have, the paperwork is really extensive. And I'd actually go so far as to say that it's excessive. Um, you're basically in some circumstances going to have to sign off your firstborn child for like 10K ringgit, uh, which seems a bit crazy to me. Um, but there is there is money out there. I think you just need to be aware of what you're getting into and validate that the amount of money that you're going after is worth the time that you're going to spend, the effort that you're going to expend in uh, navigating and understanding the process, and that all the contractual terms and all of that are actually worthwhile. I will tell you from a from an investor standpoint that when I see grants or investments, then this is I'm not going to single out who uh, has done this. But when I see some of these grants that actually convert to loans where you could potentially pay it back, I am not a fan of that because why am I going to put money in when somebody has the optionality to take that right back out of the company? So if I see that and I know many other investors will say the same, you have to negotiate out of that term. And now you have another three or six months in order to go back to them and try and figure it out. And the explanation is always, well, we never actually enforce it. 
Well, if you never enforce it, why have the term in there in the first place? Uh, because it's a compromise with Big Boss, I don't know. Um, but it's in there. And it can actually be detrimental to your ability in order to get later funding because you're going to end up being pushed uh, to try and figure out some sort of carve out to where that investor doesn't think that their money is just going to kind of uh, come into the company and then go right into the government's hands. Um, so watch out for, for a lot of that, please. Um, next on the list is venture capital. So venture capital is a fund. It's a pooled capital vehicle that is from more than one investor. I know that there's a lot of like single investor entities that are out there that will call themselves VCs and maybe they're venture capitalists, but they're not a, really a venture capital fund because a fund is a pooled capital vehicle from more than one investor. But if it's not that, then it's probably more of a corporate VC, which we'll get to the next which is a single entity owner. Um, but that being said, the semantics of who and the what, it's a pooled capital vehicle. So that VC is having to go out and raise money from investors. They get that money and then they have to turn around and invest it in the company such as yourselves. So they are beholden to their own sources of capital and they need to demonstrate execution of a strategy that they promised them. And so there's no, there's really no one size fits all when it comes to that, because many funds have different strategies, different thesis on what they're investing in, different stage at which they're investing in, and each stage is different. <laughs> the talent and the skill of analyzing a seed stage deal is very different than a series B. And you oftentimes see the mistake in markets where the ecosystem is developing that people think that it's all the same, and it is not. Ha making that transition from later stage and being able to do early stage oftentimes ends up coming with a lot of flaws and problems. Business models amongst VCs are different. Are they doing a heavily diversified portfolio where they're going to invest in a lot of companies? Or are they doing a more concentrated portfolio where they're only going to invest in a relatively small number of companies, or is it some sort of hybrid somewhere in, in between the two? They can fall somewhere on that spectrum. And the reason why I say that is because that's going to end up being an impact on, are they an active value add investor or are they a little bit more passive? The larger the portfolio size, the more impossible it is for somebody to be very active unless the team size of that VC is very large. But as the team size of that VC gets large, chances are it's not all senior partners and high-level executives within that, organ within that firm. Oftentimes, you may end up getting relegated down to the junior folks, which I don't want to uh, say anything negative about the junior folks. Everyone has to start somewhere. But it kind of impacts what you should expect out of that firm based upon what your understanding of their business model of how they approach it are they more value add or are they more passive do they have a massive portfolio or more concentrated how much time are they going to be able to spend on you um and is it thesis based some come some firms out there are more generalist what's the, the is there a thesis what's the thesis what's their focus area did they have a sweet spot Indelible, we focus on seed stage. So we, we have a particular stage 
we look at B2B companies that can scale internationally. That's the centerpiece of a thesis. Our focus area is places like Malaysia that are less trafficked by uh, mainstream uh, VCs to where we can get, we can help the ecosystem grow along and be part of that first mover advantage in markets such as Malaysia. Um, and I would also add one more point. I should have put this data point, but I had this presentation built before I actually saw it. Um, but there was data released by, by a family office guy analyzing pitch book data uh, that showed that when you look at top tier, meaning the largest number of unicorns in their portfolio, it's not the best indicator of whether or not you will successfully, if you get them on board, whether or not you have a higher probability of raising your next round. It's oftentimes assumed that getting a marquee name means that you have a signaling effect and it shows that you will have a higher probability of going from seed stage to series A stage. But what the actual data shows is that the 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 smaller firms the micro funds all of these guys that are out there the ones that may not have the same high level brand value of a of a sequoia or name your name your top names those guys have a higher probability of reaching the next round and it was a really interesting insight so when you do go out and look for vc uh keep that in mind of who you're going after because Part of that probably plays into what the strategy is, the value add, the, 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 the higher activity uh, and being able to put value add. Okay, so that's, that's that. I can, I can ramble on, on on specifics on VC, but I'm gonna try and move on to other topical areas as well. But as far as the Malaysia context go in regards to VC, we really only have three notable names uh, and it's 500, it's Gobi and fortunate enough to, to say that my firm is, is, is included within that mix as well. That's not a very crowded ecosystem. Um, and so we have a lack of players, if I'm being honest with you. And this creates a fundraising challenge. The most pronounced of this uh, difficulty is much more at the early stage. And I'll talk about that a little bit later because I'm going to talk about a few other uh, key points in regards to fundraising. But now moving into the next uh, category of uh, corporate venture is corporate venture capital. Uh, and this is really when there's basically a sole funding source behind it. Um, and so there's some sort of corporate entity uh, that is behind it. Um, so it can really be run as kind of one of two ways where it could be essentially a subsidiary uh, or an internal arm of the corporate en entity running in inside of the innovation or the corp dev or some sort of departmental entity. It may actually be carved out inside of it or it may have its own legal entity standing. Um, but there's a corporate entity there and there. Uh, and then from this, their strategy, it can really run again in a couple of different ways. So this is important to know as well. They may run independently or they may run as part of that group. Um, 
And so this makes a difference because a corporate venture arm that's running more independently also means that it's not pushing solely for uh, the corporate interest, but they're also trying to look at the financial interest, that the, the balance of the scales between corporate interest and financial interest starts tipping a little bit more towards the financial side because it's being run independently. And you also sometimes don't have this circumstance where if it's not run independently, the investments that the corporate is making is really looking at the strategic alignment. It's looking at financial return, sure, but it's also looking at that strategic alignment because oftentimes what happens is that corporate investment leads to an all-out acquisition or it gets swallowed up under the umbrella of that corporate because you're just trying to satisfy the demands of this large conglomerate, this large corporate entity, and you end up becoming essentially a captive supplier of that bigger entity. It's perfectly fine if that's what you're going after, but oftentimes I think founders need to understand what they're getting into when they could take the corporate VC route. You can find good distribution by taking that route, but you may end up falling under that umbrella and not necessarily seeing the light of day again. Um, but that's okay if you're looking for, uh, looking for an exit, uh, if, you're look, if, if that's the path that you're wanting to do. So Malaysia examples to contextualize this to the Malaysia market. Um, there's, a, there's a handful of corporates that have done it. I'm just highlighting a couple, which are the more notable ones, which everybody knows Petronas. Uh, they're doing the future tech program right now. They have Pivo over in San Francisco. Uh, they have Twin Tower, and I think they have another one. Um, sometimes I can't keep track of all of the names, but there's a variety of, of initiatives that they have. A lot of it is aligning around the themes of their corporate business. Similar with, with Sunway, they have their programs with iLabs. You have AirAsia that, um, under Capital A or what, what I, I think it's called, still called AirAsia. I think it would, we had a different name before. Uh, and Maxis, I don't think they ever formalized it, but their innovation department has definitely tried to make moves, uh, around that space. And they did, they did a, a, a large acquisition of a, of a company and have done a handful of other things as well. So there is, there is some activity in that space. And I know that in the ecosystem right now, there's initiatives within the government to try and encourage more corporate venturing. Um, we'll see how that ends up playing out. Um, but yeah. Now let's get into uh, a bit about the sourcing funding. Uh, a little bit on some tips and tricks. Uh, again, this is going to be the highlight version, not the in-depth version. So if there's areas that I haven't adequately covered, pop your questions in the Q&A uh, and we'll likely try and figure out a way in order to do an additional version, uh, a follow-up chat uh, similar to this uh, at a future date. So challenges with fundraising, uh, where to begin, and there's so many to put out there. Uh, but essentially, you have a handful of buckets here. You have limited awareness to where that's really on both sides of the equation. You have limited awareness of the, from the viewpoint of the founder, you have limited awareness on how to navigate some of the process on the the government money you have limited awareness on on how to find angels 
where the networks are, where to go, how to connect. There's a lot of that. There's limited awareness uh, of who the VC players are, how to get that connection, how to go up and, and initiate that conversation. You have, from the other side of it, angel investors, because there's not these strong uh, um, formal and informal variety of groups that have differentiated networks. You have limited awareness of who are the actual entrepreneurs that are interesting and are coming up. Uh, VCs, if they're not boots on the ground in market, they have trouble understanding that there are really cool entrepreneurs that are coming up. Uh, so there's there's an aspect of um, a limited awareness that's that's really going on on each side of the equation here. Um, we also have risk averse investors. This is one that uh, is is pretty common um, commonly talked about here in Malaysia because let's be honest. Uh, Malaysian investors are very, very uh, risk averse. Um, that's part of the reason why there's there's likely not a very strong angel network because there's a lack of awareness of how to invest in VC, the dynamics of how to do it well and how to do it right, uh, and that plays into the to the difficulties of of the risk aversion. The one that I've hammered on and the reason why I launched Indelible Ventures in the first place is that there's a lack of seed funding. This is a big problem because you can't get later stage companies unless they start somewhere. And you can't really get them off the ground and scaling up unless there is seed funding. And lastly, there is a seriously misaligned government incentives around how to develop the startup ecosystem. Uh, there's been no shortage of government involvement for 10 or 15 years, but we are losing market position relative to neighboring countries. And it's largely due to misaligned uh, incentives where there's always these good intentions at the top, but the translation into effective execution in inspiring and building the startup infrastructure is seriously lacking and misaligned so that's that's a that's a big problem area that that needs to be addressed and that's a big challenge for anybody that's fundraising in this market so let's we talked about the types of investors now let's do kind of like the lay of the land of where do these guys actually play at so i've kind of categorized early stage of your pre-seed your seed and your series a pre-seed you're really like uh, launching your MVP, uh, really just getting out there, really just kind of the launch stage. Seed stage, you should have your product and market and you're starting to get revenue, but you haven't really proven out your product market fit yet. And that's what the capital is there to provide so that you can, you've done some level of validation. Now you just need to cross over the line where you have stronger proof of a product market fit and you're testing your go-to-market strategy when you've shown the steps of being able to accomplish that that's when series a comes in which this is okay we think we think that we have a solid playbook on the product market fit we have a playbook on the go-to-market strategy now we're going to push and put some cash behind this and watch it scale up fast 
as it scales up fast, that's when we start turning into a more mature organization. Uh, and that's where growth stage capital comes in, where now we're just kind of iterating on what that Series A proved out. And we're just growing, growing, growing. So who's the players at each of these stages? Angels are really more so on the early stage. You have some super angels that, that are capable of writing large checks. They're not so much here in Malaysia, but you see them in other markets where they're capable of writing hundreds of thousands of dollars because they're, you know, very well off high net worth individuals. Um, sometimes we can categorize family offices in there, but I, I actually left family offices out because that's a nuanced category that just was going to be a little bit too much for this particular conversation. Um, but really angels fall into the category of the very earliest of stages. Uh, ECF, when you look at it in other markets, it can really fall anywhere because it's oftentimes a, an alternative to being able to do one of these other pathways. And there's a number of reasons why you would choose to do ECF as opposed to uh, one of these other pathways, which I'm not going to necessarily get entirely into that. But what we see, what we see is that it can, can have applicability across. Uh, VC, same. Oftentimes you don't see institutionalized VCs playing at the preceded stage, maybe at the more tail end of it. But you don't really see institutional VC at that. That's mostly where angels play at. Once you get past the angels, then you can start getting VCs. And even to be honest with you, it was only more recently where institutional VC started getting in the seed stage because there's been a creep towards uh, the earlier and earlier stage. And then corporate venture, you know, I, I put it as earlier stage primarily because M&A activity starts coming into play at those later stages. So when you start thinking about A and B rounds, oftentimes it has a tendency of being more M&A and corp dev as opposed to corporate venture capital, where you're actually taking more minority, non-controlling stakes, um, whereas they kind of graduate into the M&A department. So that's, that's the reason why it's not the full bar. Corporates do have the capability of investing across stages, and you do see corporate venture arms investing in later stage companies. Uh, so there is an aspect, but the reason why I put that is because more often than not, you see it being more of like the corp dev M&A uh, activity at the later. Now, what about Malaysia? How are we doing? Um, so with angels well um, there's a limited awareness of what's going on who are the angels who are the startups there's not a very there's not great mechanisms and networks that are going on to where they know who each other are and can e can relatively easily find each other um there's lack of sufficient networks and this this is this is one of the challenges that is happening in the ecosystem you can find a pathway but you need to employ some strategies around how to milk as much out of your network as possible and really start working on expanding those first degree connections and then working on how can you use those first degree connections to find second degrees and using those sort of like connectors that can do those introductions in order to be able to get yourself around. Uh, again, a lot of that is a topic for another day, 
but there are ways to try and overcome some of this with a little bit of hustle. Uh, ECF here in Malaysia, it's mostly, it mostly seems like it's within this stage range that it's really kind of a little bit later on the pre, later, later on the pre-seed. There's actually a product generally out there. They're generating some revenue. Uh, most of it seems, at least within the tech space, seems to be a little bit more uh, in this category. They've done some later, don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to generalize uh, here. Um, VC. Okay, this is this is this is where the this is where there's a big problem. You know, when you when you get into later stage, there's really not that big of an issue because the higher the denomination of money, the more international the capital is, and so if you can justify raising multiple millions of dollars, capital becomes global, and you can talk to the funds in Singapore in 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 east asia in the us and australia you can talk to a number of alt, uh, funds that are outside of your um uh, country of opera of headquarters uh, so that is not really the big problem the problem is on the earlier stage because there's just not a lot of players that are investing at the early stage in malaysia at the earliest, you have basically small money from government accelerators, from these grant programs, and it's it's small money. It's not gonna, it's not going to get you very far, if I'm being uh, bluntly honest about it. So it's a bit tough. There's not really any institutional capital other than the three that are the the the, the folks that I that I mentioned. Uh, I think Indelible is probably one of the more active folks in the in the earlier stages within within the market um, currently uh, since we since 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 we came on the scene. Uh, but this is where the biggest challenge for anyone going out and fundraising in Malaysia is going to come in because there's a lack of VCs that are playing in this space. Um, and on the corporate VC arm, at least what we're seeing out in the market currently is that it's mostly captive supplier where you're getting involved with the corporate to serve the corporate and that's basically what you're doing so once you're in you're in uh, and you don't really see many of those success cases hit the light of day and become uh, and start serving multiple clients uh, a couple of one-offs but for the most part this is this is kind of the scenario so it, it doesn't paint the rosiest of pictures it really paints a, a picture that says the early stage is quite a struggle uh, and unfortunately, that is the that is the reality. Um, but there are uh, there are some things that you can do about it. This is the biggest gap I highlighted here. Uh, so strategies on being able to overcome it. Um, you need to build a good pitch, networking, accelerator, show traction, get some support, and so when you're talking about build when you're talking about how to make yourself attractive to investors. The key aspect here is is really build a strong pitch, and you need to be able to practice that pitch because you need to be able to do a couple of things. One, when you're out networking and having conversations, you need to have a really good elevator pitch to be able to get somebody excited in just say sixty seconds. And then beyond that, you need to be able to have a really good three minute pitch where you have your slide deck and you can able to go through it. 
you need to be getting good and practicing at it. And each time that you go out and you have conversations with somebody, you need to be taking that feedback and the reaction. And oftentimes you're not getting blunt honesty and feedback on it, but you're taking what, what response you are getting and you're going back uh, and iterating on it because it should be an evolving sort of uh, thing where you're constantly trying to improve your pitch, improve your pitch. And one of the positives with, and then we'll talk about accelerators later, one of the positives about a program like Founder Institute is that we repeat that, we repeat that, we repeat that, because that's fundamental in, in solidifying your the way that you're presenting your company, because ultimately you have to sell investors, you have to sell hires, you have to sell customers. Uh, so building a strong pitch is invaluable. Networking is another thing like, some of you out there are probably going to be natural introverts and it's okay. I am myself, um, but you need to get good at networking and it come, can come through going to events, uh, becoming very savvy on LinkedIn, utilizing your personal or work networks, alumni networks, industry, pitch contests, cold outreach. Just get out there. You really have to put in a lot of grind uh, in networking because because of some of those challenges that I pointed out, you need to be able to get out there and get that visibility much more so um, because the lack of awareness and the lack of visibility and many of those things that we had just talked that I had just talked about. Um, so the other advice is getting involved with accelerators and incubators. Um, so, you know, I'm obviously biased. I think, Founder Institute is a phenomenal option for anyone out there that is looking at launching a company because we sit right at this launch and pre-seed stage where you're just getting going and you need to be able to build a lot of those fundamentals and have solid game plans around uh, customer development, marketing and growth, team building, hiring, all of these categories over a four-month period, 14 weeks of a variety of topics, each one specialized. Meanwhile, also building your pitch. I think this is a this is something that should be relied upon, and we do have a cohort coming up as well. So, if anyone is is thinking about uh, getting involved, I would highly recommend uh, checking our uh, checking out our website at fi.co, uh, and you can learn more information, or you can reach out to me. Um, and in that program, you can actually get a lifetime of support because there's one thing of being able to enter that core program and get that intensive program to get your initial traction or funding. Uh, but after you've gone through that program, we have a number of ongoing support of a product market fit lab, funding lab, venture lab, uh, alumni support. We're developing a network of VCs that are out there. So there's a number of support activities that are available to uh, to um, founders that can get into the program. But it is hard, it is hard. We purposely make it hard because building a startup is incredibly hard and there's no benefit of having kid gloves in dealing with founders. If you come into our program, we do not, we do not pass everyone. It is not get your gold star, it is a difficult program. You see some of the other ones in and around the ecosystem um, you know, they're relatively low value because if you, if you, if you're in, you get through no matter what, because, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but certainly reach out to me if you want more information on that. Cohort is currently open for applications. So 
I, I do highly recommend uh, looking into what Founder Institute can provide to you. The next thing is, so you you've you've got a solid pitch. You've got you've gotten some. You've you started doing your networking. You've gotten it. You've you've gotten into the Founder Institute, so you can get all of those fundamentals. Now you're working through. You really need to start getting a little bit of traction, and traction can mean a number of different things. And so using some generalizations across the market and and looking at some of the benchmarks that we've seen. Uh, again, every country is a little bit different, but we've tried to generalize these a little bit. At the pre-seed, you're really just looking for customer validation to demonstrate that customers actually want the solution that you're providing and that the pain point of the problem is big enough that in order to uh, inspire the demand from it. And you may have zero revenue or you may have some revenue. It's generally pretty small. You have an MVP out there. And you're really looking at uh, seed accelerators, angels, friends and family, maybe a couple of micro VCs that are out there. And round size, this is a, this is actually much more uh, US centric than you, what you would see out of um, out of Malaysia. The same with the valuation is is not really uh, what you would expect uh, in Malaysia. Seed stage, you know, you're looking for indications of product market fit. It's not necessarily going to be entirely there, to be perfectly honest with you, but you're looking for early indications so that you can build, uh, you can build and solidify that over time. The product is becoming a little bit more robust because you're starting to build that out. You're starting to get more revenue, round size getting bigger. And then Series A, you're getting to expansion capital where you've really proven that um, that product market fit and now it's time to get going. Um, and different businesses could mean different things in regards to what traction actually means, whether you're a marketplace, you have a consumer audience, you're a SaaS product, you're deep tech. So it's really important. Traction means a lot of things. So whatever your particular business is, you should have an understanding of what's relevant to you and why. So that when you do go out and have conversations, uh, you can speak uh, aptly about it. And lastly, very important to leverage support networks. That's one of the things that I constantly promote in regards to uh, Founder Institute is that we have this ongoing support. Uh, we have this weekly program so you can get support from our mentor network. You can get support from our directors uh, and really leverage on that to get advice and learnings. It's the same methodology at Indelible Ventures. We're, we're a more concentrated portfolio. So we look at being much more actively involved and allowing our portfolio companies to leverage the support that we're capable of giving them. Um, so no matter what you're doing, where you're at, who you're involved with, do look around at your support network and what available resources are there and make sure that you're leveraging that support to the best of your ability. Um, and so that basically wraps it up. So All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend Go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. 
As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brockman from Indelible Ventures, and this is the Sea of Startups.